Animal Friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shereen. And we are in the middle of our coverage of nonfiction this month um, on the Fully Booked podcast, and also over on our website at fullybooked.ca, so you guys can always feel free to go check out everything that we've got going on over there, too. Um, And today we were going to, I don't know, we wanted to sit down and have kind of a discussion. I think because nonfiction tends to like fall by the wayside a little bit more in the literary community not everywhere I'm just talking about like the general populace obviously Mm -hmm. and I'm just generalizing um I guess we just wanted to talk about just have a little a little head-to-head a little fiction versus non-fiction why do we like what we like why don't we like certain things um what do we like about non-fiction what don't we like about non-fiction or like you know what specific types of non-fiction would you be drawn to Basically, yeah. yeah. And I will be honest, this one's going to be a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I know, it's okay. <laughs> I only really do fiction unless it's a good documentary. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I always struggled with nonfiction books. Um, there are niches yeah. that you need to find. I think if you find your niche, if you find what you like yeah. um, or what you enjoy reading, then you're good to go. Yeah. But you definitely have to uh, look for it a little bit more. Yeah, and I always find it's harder to like look for something when you're not that motivated to begin with. No, 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 like, no, for sure. Agreed, yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, so we're just going to have... We're going to have a talk about it. We're going to talk yeah, about... We're going to talk gonna about, taco about it. I wish I had a taco squishmallow on me, though. <laughs> we need to switch up our squishmallows. Yeah, just, Where's our non-fiction do we squishmallow? Have, there should, do they have one that's a book? I wish they had a book. They don't, actually. May I interest you in a tombstone? <laughs> it's weird. It feels weird. It doesn't feel appropriate. Or a Bigfoot? A Bigfoot? <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Shereen has so many fucking Squishmallows, guys. <laughs> she tries to arrange them so it doesn't look like it's overkill, but... But there's, like, repeats. I wish that people could sort of see the room that we sit in to record because there are repeats of the same ones, like, quite frequently. Different sizes in some cases, but a lot of them, I'm like, that's also the same size. You've got, like, three Grim Reapers over there that are the same size. No, they're just sitting on different, like things to make them seem like they're the same size but they're different yeah. by like half a centimeter oh my god <laughs> my green my grim reaper is my favorite all right if you know <laughs> squishmallows you know that my spooky boy auto you know who he is so oh my god <laughs> this this conversation is only for like a very select group of people <laughs> Basically just people who are obsessed with them or like moms, because I'm sure moms are dealing with this a lot right now if they have younger kids. Probably, but I also think that moms are into these a lot more than their kids Oh, pro- yeah, probably. They get, you get into the collecting side yeah. of it. Remember Beanie Babies? Oh like, my God. Those were a oh, thing. I saw a picture this morning, um, a couple splitting up their Beanie Babies in court during a divorce. Shut in the fuck up. In 1999, they had like a pile of Beanie oh Babies. Oh my God. And they were going through the Beanie Babies. And I was like, oh gosh. Oh, the 90s were a different time. If you like weren't old enough at that time to understand it, I feel bad for you. Because there were just, there were apparently... Yeah, apparently there were couples being like getting divorced and dividing up their Beanie Baby collections. Although to be fair, you know what? I'm sure several years later they could have sold those things for thousands of dollars each. So 
yeah, but then they're all worthless now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> just like, so all of so y'all. So haha to the suckers who bought them. <laughs> pretty much. Like all of y'all who love Squishmallows these days, if you're like looking at the black market of them, because there is one in case you don't know what oh I'm talking God. about. Um, the winter Bigfoot that everybody's looking for right now is reselling <laughs> for $500. Um, Joke's on you, they're going to be worthless in about 10 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just get ready for that, everybody. You're going to have them all sitting in your basement eventually. You're just going to get rid of them at like a yard sale or something. So we can all get ready for that. I don't know why we're still talking about this. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's time for us to talk about some fiction versus some nonfiction. um, And maybe give nonfiction a little bit more love, you know? Or at least... Give nonfiction a chance. Give nonfiction a chance. Exactly. Let's do it. Let's do it. So if people, a lot of people, since I'm sure even a lot of people listening don't read a ton of nonfiction necessarily, I'm sure some of you do, Mm -hmm. but it's quite possible that a lot of people just don't. Um, uh, Basically, the differences pretty much between fiction and nonfiction are largely because obviously fiction um, revolves around a fictional plot and fictional characters, whereas nonfiction is very based in fact and is generally about, you know, real events that have taken place in some way, shape, or form. Um, that can differ in a way if you get into, like, the self-help side of things, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, if you... I guess that fits it fits in. Like, I, I don't guess, know where else to put it. I mean, I get, but then you, you'd have to... <laughs> You have to start putting cookbooks in there too. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Then you get into like a whole different thing, which is like, like a, like a cookbook is its own thing. I don't, I think it's its own category. I don't think it's based in fiction or nonfiction. It's just a cookbook, you know? It's fictional recipe. Although they do have like Harry Potter cookbooks. That's a good point. But again, they're still, they're still real tangible recipes that you can make, right? So yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. It's a, those get into like weird territory. I guess when I think of nonfiction, most of the time I think of things like uh, biographies and um, true crime. crime. Yeah, obviously I do. Um, And oh God, I don't know. Even just anything that's sort of like the story of any person or a place that's based in but in like a fact, history book or like yeah. books that you walk past about like how Trump screwed up the entire world. Oh yeah, or, you see um, those everywhere now. You see them everywhere, or like you know, just information like oh, it was the one I saw the other time. It's like how like customer service is like impacting like all industries. And okay, stuff. like yeah, you can you can yeah. go in any direction. Anything. Almost okay. I'm gonna. I I shouldn't say that because I'm sure it's not all of them. But anything written by a journalist. Ooh. A lot of the time, yeah. I find is like a, a lot of the time. If you flip over a nonfiction book and you start reading about the author, the author yeah. is a journalist, yeah. generally speaking. Because again, like reading the newspaper is like reading nonfiction. Basically, like reading an article in like the Wall Street Journal yeah. or the New Yorker or something like a large publication. Yeah. Um, those are that's nonfiction. They're all reporting the news to an extent. So yes, journalism and news reporting those are different. Mm-hmm. However, I think there's sort of a correlation between the two of them. So much of the time, if a person's used to writing as a journalist, yeah. I see that you could make that transition to writing nonfiction. Yeah, it'd just be like a much bigger piece that you would write with more More, research more research involved that's it so if you basically if you wanted to expand on a piece that you had written and if you wanted to delve into it more deeply do more research about it about an issue about uh, politics about religion about anything really Mm -hmm. um then yeah you would 
you would sort of make that transition and I could see that being an easier thing for a journalist to do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense for sure. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of your favorite nonfiction that you've read there, Megan. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting me on the spot. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so usually, I mean, yeah, I will say that generally speaking, my nonfiction consumption is really relegated to true crime, mm-hmm. which I is, it's, like a subgenre of its own mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. um, just in how much exists out mm-hmm. there. I know, obviously, we're all used to like that new true crime documentary on Netflix or a podcast that we listen to, and I do all of that too. Uh, however, I would say my introduction to true crime was through reading. It mm-hmm. wasn't through watching a documentary. I didn't really do much of that when I was younger, mm-hmm. but when I was I don't know, in my late teens or early 20s, probably like 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, something yeah. like that, because I'm in my 30s now. Um, it's fine. I love your 30s are the fucking best. Your 20s <laughs> suck. Forget your 20s. I know. When you're like in your 30s, you just don't care about Oh, anything. it's great. I love not caring about what anybody <laughs> thinks of me. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say probably when I was roughly like between 19 and 21 is probably when I kind of picked up a few true crime books and really started reading them. I read, like, some of the big ones to begin with, like Helter Skelter. Oh, yeah, you loaned that to me. Yeah, which is, like... Did I give it back to you? Yeah, you did, I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure I have it at home. Um, Yeah, which is very famously about, obviously, uh, Charles Manson, Mm -hmm. the Manson family, sort of that whole period of time in the late 60s and um, the crimes that they committed and the murders that they committed um, while under his influence, basically, and the subsequent trial that followed. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I was fascinated by that story to begin with, and I think I was interested in it, which is why I picked up the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very well-referenced and well-known book about that case, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes sense. But obviously, since then, I've... I mean, I've read quite a few others as well it's always you know whenever anybody asks me like what are your favorites it's really hard to like pinpoint oh, it's always the same. yeah <laughs> anybody whenever you say to somebody I enjoy reading and they're like what's your favorite book it's like I don't uh, have one no I, I can't no that. I don't have one I probably have like in every genre that I read I probably have like a top 10 that I really yeah. like you know and even then that would take me some time to compile that information definitely yeah <laughs> if I re- I'd have to really like sit down look through like yeah. my history <laughs> And, like, remember everything um, in the first place and then categorize them. It would be difficult to do. Um, I will say some, I guess, obvious standouts. Um, uh, The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule, uh, which is a very well-known true crime book about um, her time in Washington when she was working as a... um, uh, she was volunteering at a suicide hotline oh, at the time in the yeah. 70s. And guess who was volunteering with her? Ted Bundy. Oh. And they became quite good friends. Oh. And, of course, a time later, she found out uh, everything that he'd been doing and obviously the crimes that he'd committed. So it's sort of all about kind of what she was seeing happen, all of the history of the murders, everything that occurred at that time, as well as the trial itself, but also with, I guess, an extra personal touch of her relationship with Ted Bundy specifically, mm-hmm. um, and that impact on her yeah. as a person, because I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, that one's an obvious standout. Um, in more recent years, I'll Be Gone in the Dark um, is excellent, excellent, written by Michelle McNamara, who unfortunately passed away in 2016 or 17, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, in the middle of writing that book, oh, which wow. friends of hers did complete afterwards, uh, which is about... Her transition from 
writing a true crime blog online that she had started years and years earlier and looking into the case of the Golden State Killer, Hmm. um, who was subsequently, after the book's publication, well, around the time of the book's publication, I should say partially, as far as I'm concerned, because of her research, even though they'd never own up to it, um, he was arrested 40-odd years after the crimes were committed. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful book. There is so much detail. Um, she was incredibly dedicated to the case and, um, it's really unfortunate that she, she was only in her mid forties. It's really unfortunate that she wasn't able to live to see, um, the fruits of her labor really like live to see him arrested and finally brought to justice for this. Um, so, uh, that's a fascinating book to read. Um, and it's always interesting. I find when I find one or two that are, that almost read like fiction, yeah. kind of, you know, like when you, I mean, some stories are so almost unbelievable that you can't help but almost feel like they're yeah. fiction when you're reading them. You're like, this, there's no way that this actually happened. I mean, you feel like that when you watch like documentaries. For sure. Things that happen, like um, that one that came out on Netflix uh, about a, uh, about two years ago now, You Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, yeah. And that one I was like. That's like a personal one for us because it took place uh, in, Montreal. in Montreal and we were both from the Montreal area. Yeah. We live in this area. And so we heard about it on the news as it yeah. was happening. And, you know, you hear about these things and you're like, this this can't be. Like, you can't imagine a human doing this. No, human, no, absolutely, you know? absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, that's always, it's always interesting when you can, I mean, I guess, yeah, finding a personal connection to something does make it more meaningful for you, mm. which makes sense. Um, but I do always, yeah, I do enjoy when I can find, uh, one that also kind of almost has a fictional kind of vibe to it. Um, I guess, I guess one of the better ones that I've read that way is called The Devil in the White City. I've heard of this. Um, I think you have a copy of it sitting somewhere. <laughs> I think I do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think it's probably Dan's, but I yeah. Think it's Dan's. Yeah. yeah he's probably uh, which was written by Eric Larson, um, which is always, okay, I, so I do find the ones that come across as more fictional tend oh, to right be... There. Oh, there you go. They tend to be older, um, like older stories from, you know, uh, decades or potentially centuries ago. Uh, Basically, The Devil in the White City kind of tells a a story, or Eric Larson tells the story of like the split perspective between the architects and creators of Chicago's World Fair Mm. in the 1890s and um, the whole process to put that together and everything that happened, what was happening in the city at that time, what that brought to the city, what it did afterwards, the impact of it. At the same time, he's also speaking, um, he also uh, speaks about the crimes of H.H. Holmes, who is Mm. often considered, I believe, America's first serial killer, um, who, uh, built essentially what was like a murder hotel kind of American horror story hotel season is vaguely say. based on what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like the character that I think Evan Peters mm-hmm. plays that he doesn't have the same name, but he's very based on, mm-hmm. it's a very HH H. Holmes style, um, thing. Well, they are good at that in American horror story. They, they really do, um, in some seasons. Yeah. To like. <laughs> Serial real events and real things events. that have yeah. taken place yeah exactly so um that's a really interesting one to read and um another one that I guess I guess kind of reminded me of that as well less so because um I, I've like read about this a little bit and like seen things about it before it was called oh god what's it called death in the air mm-hmm. um which is about again it's a split perspective also written by a journalist um about the uh, the really bad 
smog sort of epidemic and time in oof, 1950s in yeah. London, yeah. basically, when they had like that period of time where basically things were shut down for several weeks because the smog was so intense right. uh, because of all period. the coal burning and everything yeah. exactly there was a period that period of time there's an episode of the crown where they actually have that oh really okay. yeah they cover that um where you know that's it basically people first of all people died from like inhalation obviously of that smoke a lot of people passed away uh people were injured and killed and things because of um lack of sight people were hit yeah. by cars like there's all kinds of stuff and at the same time uh there was a man who was murdering people in his neighborhood and burying them in the backyard. Okay. couldn't see through Yeah, them. and he was caught after oh, right, as right. well. Yeah, that's it. Now just wild. So those are, it's so funny because like when you're reading it, you're like, oh, this this almost reads like historical fiction because yeah. you know that these certain things took place. Like the World's mm -hmm. Fair took place. This smog yeah. issue happened. You know, like, yeah. you know, like this did happen several times in London yeah. um, back in those times. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then, you know, you, you almost assume that part of it's fiction just because you're like, there was not somebody murdering people in like his little murder mansion at that time, but they were, they were. and it's insane. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, as you're talking, I'm remembering now growing up, um, my mom always had a lot of nonfiction books in the house. Okay. I, mean, I think that's pretty much all she ever bought was nonfiction okay. because I think like, again, um, in a time where there wasn't internet yeah. <laughs> all the time, like you had, if you wanted to learn more about something, you would buy a book, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so we had shelves, just so many nonfiction books about different serial killers, different events in history. Mm -hmm. I think I still have a bunch here. In oh, my probably, house, yeah. Because um, she gave a whole bunch to me, but um, it's just something that never really interests me all that much. Like I've read a couple of autobiographies. I think I read a biography about Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. Um, I've read a few biographies, but I prefer getting my nonfiction in like bite size because it's very informational. Oh, for sure. And so, um, I prefer to read like articles on the internet. Yeah. Um, and I prefer to do almost my own work when it comes to nonfiction. Like your own research kind my of. Research, right. You know, cause I like to piece the information together, um, to make it a little bit more of like a puzzle, I guess. Sure. Um, but, uh, no, or I, I like to read fiction books that are based on true stories so yeah like historical fiction yeah, basically yeah exactly. like it takes place uh in a real place at a real time yeah. but maybe like the characters are fictional or the events yes. that take place are fictional exactly. or whatever yeah or like you know uh you know like titanic for example sure like titanic was uh, a real event but we don't know if Rose and Jack didn't yeah, really like exist. Were, like, that's not a thing. created those, yeah. you know, for entertainment purposes. So, like, for me, that's more what I prefer to read. Mm -hmm. um, and But I do like a good documentary about true crime, you know, and Netflix has done a really good job of, of bringing out a few of those They're basically, now. I think Netflix at this point is basically continuing to function on true crime documentaries and reality dating shows. <laughs> and the odd, like, um, book to tv adaptation of like young adult yeah but they're usually literature. really bad like yeah. really 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 bad yeah um like, a, yeah. like yeah like most of them are terrible on occasion you'll get an okay one but most of them are really bad fair, fair. um do better netflix yeah that's it oh you're doing okay with your true crime shit i guess yeah. so there's that it's true um yeah no it's true but um yeah nonfiction. i you know what i do think though because for some people 
some people don't want the escapism that fiction presents, which is, of course, why so many of us are drawn to it, obviously, yeah. and so many of us do prefer it. Yeah, I will say, based on volume overall, yes, of course I prefer fiction. I read a lot more fiction than nonfiction as a and general there is rule. there's a lot more fiction out there Absolutely. Than Absolutely, yes. And it gets, like, attention and, yes. you know... Because most of us want that escapism mm-hmm. when we're looking for something to read, you mm-hmm. know, the vast majority of the time anyway. Of course. But there is definitely a percentage of people out there who aren't looking for that, who are looking for more concrete, I guess, detail and information regarding uh, specific people, specific places, specific Mm -hmm. events, whatever it is that your preferences are, Mm -hmm. you know, for some people. I don't know if that happens quite as much anymore, but I'm sure that, you know, if you were, like, to your example that you were giving of the fact that your mom had Mm -hmm. a lot of um, nonfiction books in the house, you know, back when it wasn't, like, a quick Wikipedia away, if you wanted to learn more about a celebrity that you really liked or a political figure and things I mean picking up a book about them would have been a really concrete way to do so and you know for a lot of people now a lot of people will use like social media to like quote-unquote feel closer to the celebrities Mm -hmm. that they like Um, but back at that time I'm sure if you wanted to do that if you were a fan of someone it would have made the most sense to purchase a book about them whether whether written by someone else or written by the person themselves whatever Mm -hmm. But, but I mean you know, it's just, it just goes to show, like, the evolution of how we um, process information, yes. how we consume information, uh, especially something that's more factual. We want it in bite size, and we want it now. Yes, we do. You it's know? true. Um, if you're waiting for, like, you know, you just mentioned celebrities. I will take the most, the worst example, but if you want to take the Kardashians, for example. Sure. Um, I'm sure there are books written about them. Well, there must be. Um, but, and they have their own TV show, but the best source of information about the Kardashians is things like BuzzFeed News, because they will give you in real time the information. Yeah, that's it. This person, like, you know, this Kardashian just, just did this one thing and people are reacting to it this way, like basically within the last 72 hours, let's say. And they turn it into like a newsworthy event. And my theory... You might, you might think I'm very cynical here, but my theory is that the Kardashians exist just to take our attention away from more important things going on in the world. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the government had something to do with that. You I never know. Be. I wouldn't be, because every time something major is happening in the world, some stupid shit goes down with that family. Like, oh, this person like made a really insensitive remark, and now four people are having an argument about it. Yeah, that's it. And you're like, okay, they've been rich forever. They're going to be insensitive people. Like, that's just what it is. They're rich just because they were rich. Yeah. There's no other reason why they're famous. No, at all. At all. That's it. A sex tape and a couple of smart marketing decisions, then you are a famous person, it seems. Apparently, no. Like, that's where a lot of fame is coming from these days. For sure. mentioned Netflix reality shows. TikTok. Like, hello. TikTok. Like, it's it's becoming a little exhausting. Yeah, I'm not talking about people who are doing something like becoming uh, popular on TikTok for, let's say, like making original like music. Cha- talent. Yeah, like people yeah. who are like musicians who are lucky enough to be able to use that platform no, to get their music out there. Good, good for them. I'm talking about like, yeah, people like, um, I don't even know her fucking name, that little like Filipina girl who just like contorts her face into something, like something cute and she looks like a little doll and then she gets like a bazillion followers I don't even remember her name I think she's now releasing music but that's what they all do eh? they all get popular 
for doing fucking nothing, for looking cute on yeah. camera. Yeah. And then they become like a like the next big thing and they get like 10 bazillion followers on TikTok. Yeah. I don't know. So like, again, like a lot of our, you know, even now you go into a bookstore. Yeah. I find that a lot of the nonfiction is either about um, very historical events. Yes. Or like giant political events that have recently happened that we're trying to make sense of still Mm -hmm. but again everything is happening so fast and we have access to the information so quickly that it must be a challenge to write a non-fiction book now yeah it would be difficult I think it would be much easier to do something like write a podcast or a blog or something where you can be regularly updating Updating. the information as it comes um because yeah that would it must be a struggle for people to to keep it relevant basically by the time the entire process of writing the book is completed mm-hmm. and it has been published no one will remember about whatever that is like everyone you know we all want everything immediately and then we're done with it and it just disappears from our brains right every time we want to find out about a new piece of information so yes writing about something culturally relevant right now other than like other than issues that are ongoing like racism or something along those lines you can always write something relevant about that because it's always relevant Mm. to do so however you know that's it writing some about some specific like uh, I don't know celebrity scandal or something that's happening right now by too late yeah like it's done it doesn't things have happened yeah it doesn't matter anymore whereas if you are using like you know that's an online platform to regularly update that if you choose to use like the written word to do so that's a much easier way of going about it oh, absolutely absolutely and, yeah you know I do have actually now that you mentioned I do have an, a few nonfiction books about like um you know discrimination anti-racism sure um but again like even those are evolving not even theories but just how to handle certain situations like it's always evolving you know it is yes we're always learning how to be better so anyway that's my thought on on nonfiction. um you know the first the first ever novel that was written actually and I think I talked about this in an earlier episode um was actually supposed to be a work of nonfiction. um it was called uh, the journal of the plague year yes 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 Um, yes kind of relevant (laughs) kind of relevant because we just came through a pandemic yeah true um, (laughs) yeah it was uh written about someone who's living through the plague from a first-person perspective. And at that time, it was actually um, not legal to write fiction because it was considered a lie. Oh, yes, yes. Um, But the author was actually using journals from his uncle. So they weren't his his actual, you know, uh, experiences because he wasn't old enough at that time. So it would have been nonfiction, but not um, like an autobiographical sort of nonfiction. Exactly. It would have been just a bio, like a biographical version of events, obviously exactly. based on research, pretty much. Yeah, because pretty you know. much, and so I think that we do still see quite a few books like that yeah. these days. It's hard to classify them, but um, yeah. yeah. So that's that's my take on nonfiction. Not a huge fan, but I don't mind it. Yeah, I. I'll take it in the quantities, you know, that I want to take it in. Um, I think that it works, like, I think that basically exactly what you said is right. Um, If someone writes a novel about, like, an interesting true crime case or a person involved in something like this, you know, years after whatever this person did happened, um, that I can get into because 
I'm going to get like the vast majority of the facts, not everything, because there are still updates that happen, you know, with cold cases decades and decades after, um, after an arrest is made, after an execution, after anything really. So that does still happen. What is it? Last year, I think this year or last year, they identified one of John Wayne Gacy's victims. Finally, another one that was, that was unidentified up until now. We really need to stop. Yeah. Giving so much attention to these serial killers. Yes, but I do think that there's something important about bringing, like, finalizing that, being able to actually oh, say, absolutely. you know. Let's hear more about the victims. Yeah. I want to know about the victims. That usually is, the yeah, that usually is kind of what needs to be done a little bit more. But yeah. that's a, oof, that's a conversation for another day. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, do we prefer fiction? Yes, of course. Do I hate nonfiction? Not at all. In fact, I quite enjoy good portions of it from time to time, so that's fine. Um, I'm always curious to know what people do think of nonfiction, just because, you know, it, it gets less attention most of the time, but can still be um, a really good source of literature, mm -hmm. should you choose to pick it up from time to time. So I want to know what you guys think. You can let us know about that over on our Instagram page at fullybookedca. You can hit up our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better. And if you're still here with us, which I hope that you are, you can feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode because it really helps us get the show out in front of more people. But until next week, guys, keep on reading. <laughs>